how many here like a good spy movie? And Born Trilogy, Mission Impossibles, what else? Bond movies, there's a bunch of those. Anybody like good spy movies, adventure movies? Somebody's clapping. No, we're not going to play it this morning, Oscar. Come on, man. <laughs> I do. But, but I also think part of that comes from the fact, you know, you know, Hollywood plays off of what are the natural inclinations of our heart. And what I firmly believe is, is that we have a desire within us to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And I really believe it's a God-given inclination. God gives us that desire because he calls us, he invites us to be a part of something greater than ourselves. He invites us to be a part of a great adventure, a great mission. And the, really the best mission ever to be fulfilled, you can find in this book. And it's exactly where we're going to be this morning in our Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 as we talk about the mission of Jesus. This is a mission not only for him, but it's, it's a mission for us to continue and to fulfill. And what an awesome thing that we're invited to be a part of it. So as we look at this passage today, what I want you to do is begin to understand, begin to think about, you know, some have that, that question of, of what is the purpose of life? What's the meaning for life? God gives us the answer. And so we just have to simply grab a hold of it and choose that and to walk in that life. And so that's what I want us to invite us to this morning. So if you have your Bibles, <laughs> I hope you do. I always hope you have your Bible. Hey, if you're new to the church and maybe you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible underneath your chair, and if you don't have one at home, feel free to take that as a gift from the church. We want everybody to have a Bible. What a joy that, that we have God's Word among us. Uh, if you were here in November 2015, this passage is actually the passage I spoke from the weekend that Shelley and I were here, and really just praying through with you as a church about God's will for the future of Connection Point. So, some of the things I'm going to talk about this morning, hopefully you remember some, or I didn't teach it very well the first time. But that's okay. Teachers know repetition's the mother of all learning, right? So we'll go over it again, make sure that we've got it. So I'm going to invite you to stand as a part of the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4. It's been a few weeks, but we're picking up off of where we left off. Jesus had spent time in the wilderness, and now he's going to go visit the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. So Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16 through verse 30 this morning. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed." to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. But we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zaharaphath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers 
in Israel, the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Nahum, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Amen. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. You know, to understand this passage, we need to understand a little bit about the town that Jesus grew up in. And Nazareth was a town of prejudice. And so to understand this synagogue service, we need to understand a little bit about where Jesus was speaking and sharing this message. And what we know is it was a town of about 200, 250 people. It was founded by returnees from Babylon in around 150 BC. So people had been exiled. They came back and were resettling the land. That's a part of Nazareth and really a part of the Galilee in general. And now there's some scholarly debate surrounding whether the town was named after the Hebrew word Natsor, meaning one kept or protected. You know, that's the place that Joseph chose as a place to protect Jesus after he was born and they came back out of Egypt. Or is it from the Hebrew word netzer, meaning branch or shoot? In other words, the branch or shoot out of the stump of Jesse is, will come out of the Messiah in Nazareth. I don't want to enter into that debate, but what I do want to let you know is in the Galilee area, people there were very nationalistic. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were not a fan of Roman occupation. They, they didn't want others telling them how they were to live in that land. That's the view of Nazareth. And now, according to Luke, Jesus is baptized. We talked about this. He's baptized. He spends 40 days in the wilderness. And here are the two verses that we left off with from the last time we talked about Luke. So this is Luke 2, 40, no, Luke 4, 15, 14 and 15. He returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, so Jesus, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So we're in this section of Luke that I've labeled as water wilderness and wonder so jesus is baptized in the water and this is our experience as well as we come to faith in christ and we declare our faith you know we had several baptized here last sunday what god speaks over us is you are loved you are a child of god and i am pleased with you this is what he speaks over jesus god the father speaks this over jesus and then the spirit leads him into the wilderness and it's in the wilderness that identity is tested and here's the three things that the enemy speaks over your life. The first is this, that you are what you do. And Jesus says, no, that's not true. You are not what you do. The enemy would say, but you are what you have, your possessions. And again, that's a false identity. And the last thing is, is that you are what other people think of you. Those are the three tests that we all experience as we face the world, as we walk through the wilderness. The enemy wants us to believe those lies. But if we can walk through that wilderness experience, then we get to experience the wonder of following Jesus. And this is where we find ourselves. So Jesus walks out of the wilderness, and he's filled with the Spirit. He's working amongst the towns, and it says he's being glorified by all. And now this is where we pick up in today's passage. Jesus ministers throughout the Galilee region. And so it suggests that he was a member of a number of the synagogues there. Capernaum, Nazareth. There was other synagogues. He talks about Bethsaida and Corazon. So we know that Jesus was ministering widely throughout the Galilee. Uh, here's a picture of a remake, basically, of the, the synagogue in Nazareth. If you go visit Nazareth Village, this is what you go and visit. And this is their idea of what the synagogue would have looked like when Jesus is there reading this scroll. And obviously, 
Not real big, but if you think about the town of Nazareth, it was big enough to at least accommodate the people that were there. In Luke 8, it gives the story of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. So we can learn a little bit about what the synagogue service was all about. And what we know about synagogue rulers, Jairus, remember Jesus healed his daughter. He had various responsibilities. He was the custodian of the building, so he kept up to make sure the building was maintained. And he was a master of the ceremonies for the weekly service. This was his job, job duty. He had the responsibility to schedule synagogue speakers and to record the scripture that was to be read and discussed. He had the responsibility to list who was going to come and share on the wall. That's one of the thoughts they have for the synagogue is that it was listed so you knew who was going to share that particular week. A portion from the first five books of the Bible, the Torah was read, along with a section from the prophets. And of course, we see that Jesus pulls and reads from Isaiah. And the scripture reading, here's what's really neat. It was selected far in advance. Some people think it could have been a couple hundred years in advance, but we know for sure at least three years. So this has some huge implications when we think about the passage that Jesus spoke from on this particular day. At least three years in advance, God had aligned things in such a way that this is the passage that Jesus is going to read on this day in the synagogue. Isn't that cool? He's going to read out of this messianic text. And one of the implications for us is, you know, sometimes we're walking through life. This is why so often we like to stop and make sure we celebrate things that are happening in your life. Because we can oftentimes miss where God has aligned and caused intersection where he's put together a moment for you that if you're not careful, you can miss in the way that he's designed it. This is exactly what God does for Jesus in Nazareth when he's speaking from this passage. You know, now Jesus, you think about the, the anticipation of him coming to the synagogue. Him, he's one of their own. He did wonderful things in Capernaum, and he's now scheduled to speak in the Nazareth synagogue. The, pl the place was likely packed. I mean, again, it wouldn't take a whole lot to pack out that place, but I'm sure it was packed. This speaking list posted, and Jesus is a selected teacher that week. Citizens, if you think about their mindset, they were ready for the Messiah to come. They were ready to be rid of Roman rule and occupation. Jesus has healed people. He's cast out demons. It says he's been glorified by all. So people know that Jesus has done incredible things, and now they're wondering, hey, is this our hometown hero? Is the Messiah going to come out of our town? And so they're wondering, what's Jesus going to say? What is his discussion going to be about the passage that he reads? And now Jesus, he, he gives his address boldly and shockingly is what we're going to find out as he reads from Isaiah 61. And what does he read? Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What an awesome message. And then he sits down and he preaches the shortest message ever. Maybe there's Sundays where you feel like, I wish Pastor Zach would follow the example of Jesus. <laughs> I'm all right with that. Here's what he says. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He takes that passage and he applies it to himself. But what Jesus read, here's what's interesting, is slightly different than what Isaiah 61 really says. Isaiah 61, 2 reads, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That's what Isaiah 61 really says. So then what he does is he actually adds a line from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So he's bringing in a Greek translation, so that's interesting, and, and the fact that he's uh, a God for all nations, recovery of sight to the blind. And then he pulls in Isaiah 58, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So when you look at the slide, if you can go back one, I'm going to jump to that one in a second. 
on the slide, here's what he does. He adds the green line and the yellow line, and he takes away the purple line. Talk about a smart guy. This is pretty incredible in what he's trying to communicate between these passages. By inserting the phrase from Isaiah 58, what he's doing is he's then inferring that I'm also here to fulfill what Isaiah 58 has to say. And here's what Isaiah 58 says. Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. So Jesus is preaching a pretty profound message here, and he's sharing it through Isaiah 58. Here's what Jesus is saying when he works through Isaiah 61 and inserts a part from Isaiah 58. He says, you're living in the land of foreign occupation. This is what he's talking to the people in Nazareth. An oppressed land. Yet if you want redemption, this is what you must do. Redemption will come when you show charity to the less fortunate, not when God brings vengeance upon your oppressors. What a message. Luke 4.22, it's often translated, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. This is what the ESV says. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So this is the common translation. But this may not clearly represent the best translation of what the original Greek would have meant here. The New King James Version, here's how it translates this verse. So all bore witness to him. Does it say favorably or unfavorably? Does it mention that? No, it doesn't. And that's actually the best translation. The original Greek, it neither shows favorable or unfavorable. It's just that most translators have thought, well, maybe it's in a favorable way that they spoke well of him. And it says, they marveled at gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But here's the problem. The, the Greek here can be positive or negative, and that's why the New King James is really the best translation of this particular verse. It says that they bore witness to him. And what I struggle with when you look at this passage is how is it they could have spoke well of him and then just a little bit later have said, let's throw this guy off a cliff. Something's going on there, and we need to understand what it is. Kenneth Bailey, one of my favorite old dead guys, you hear me talk about them sometimes, but he's this great, great theologian. He grew up in the Middle East, was a son of American cross-cultural workers, and he understands Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, Aramaic, so all the ancient languages. He walks through this passage in his translation, which I agree with, he says, and all witnessed actually against him and were amazed at the words of mercy that came out of his mouth. Because what did he do? He removed vengeance of our God. That's what they were surprised about. How could he remove that terminology? And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And I really think that's the best translation to help us understand this passage and why they wanted to throw him off a cliff by the time he finishes speaking. And here's one of the challenges. Too often people have understood that phrase is not this Joseph's son to basically mean, isn't this the son of a dumb carpenter? Like that's kind of what's inserted there. People have thought of it this way. But that's really not what the passage is saying here. Because think about this. That's not what we see of Jesus when you think about what he did, the way that he takes Isaiah 61, he inserts portions from the Septuagint in Isaiah 58, the way that he takes a piece away, I mean, that's genius. And if nothing else, we know that he can read, he's literate, so he's, not, he's no dummy. Jesus is no dummy, we've talked through that a little bit. But there's also another incident, when we were in Luke 2 and we saw that Jesus, he stayed back, he hid from his parents playing hide-and-go-seek in Jerusalem, and so he hides out in the temple. But what does it say about Jesus when he's 12 years old? 
Here's what it says in verse 46. After three days, they, Mary and Joseph, they found him, Jesus, in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding, his answers. So if at 12 years old, he was amazing people, how much more by age 30 is he truly mesmerizing people in the terms of his understanding of scripture? And we see that in the way that he read this. So this phrase here, isn't this Joseph's son? It does not mean, how can he even read? He's just a dumb carpenter. That's been a mistake that we've understood it that way. Here's what it means. The town people are asking, didn't he grow up here? Doesn't he know how we feel and understand this text from Isaiah 61? Doesn't he understand the Messiah is going to come and he's going to bring vengeance upon our enemies? What does he mean redemption will come when we show charity to those people who are around us? Are we not waiting for God to crush our occupiers and our enemies? This is what they're asking. Didn't he grow up here? Doesn't he understand how we value Isaiah 61 and mean it to mean? They saw Jesus as a hometown boy who understood their town's messianic expectations. And the good news Jesus shares and the merciful verses that he reads, this is the stumbling block for them. Jesus had removed vengeance on the Gentiles from the equation. They were amazed, surprised, disappointed, and upset at the way Jesus took that passage and the implications it would mean for them if they really wanted redemption to come and who the Messiah really was. Because here's what Isaiah wrote. If you continue reading in Isaiah 61, here's what they were waiting for. Isaiah 61, you keep reading down to verse 4, which Jesus doesn't even get to. says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there should be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. So this is what they were waiting for. Again, they were returnees from Babylon. Nazareth was a rebuilding of a former devastation. So they understood their messianic expectations as one day the Romans would serve them instead of they would serve the Romans. But Jesus speaks a different message. Instead, Jesus proclaims, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the message of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus. He's the anointed one of God. He announces the dawning of the messianic age as an event taking place right before their eyes in him. He's the message. And here's the message of Jesus, that he claimed to proclaim the good news. He came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He came to show compassion to those who need compassion. He came to set those free who needed to be set free. And praise God for that, by the way, because everyone in this room <laughs> fits in this category. Aren't we glad that this was the mission of Jesus? For without it, where would you and I be today? This is the mission of Christ. He's a merciful Savior. Jesus, the local boy, he came to Nazareth as an itinerant rabbi and was given an opportunity to have his say. And so his audience 
full of proud Nazarenes, understood Isaiah 61 to mean foreign neighbors would serve them and make them wealthy. And so now with everyone listening intently, Jesus read the familiar and deeply beloved passage. And yet to their shock and amazement, he stops reading right at the point when judgment and servitude is pronounced on the Gentiles. And so the crowd, they witnessed against him, not for him. And that they were offended at how he took this text of judgment and turned it into an affirmation of mercy. Why would Jesus omit the verses that were considered critical to this text? So stunned, they wait for further comments. It's like basically he slapped him in the face and now they're just wondering, what else could he possibly say? They're not happy with his translation. But what does he talk about? He does not disappoint because he talks about two Gentiles of great faith, a widow in Sidon and Naaman the Syrian. And so to the members of the synagogue, here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to receive the benefits of the new golden age of the Messiah, you must imitate the faith of a Gentile woman and a Gentile man. I'm not asking you to merely tolerate or accept them. You must see such people as demonstrating great faith and acknowledge they can instruct you in the nature of authentic faith. Might I tell you that today, God is looking for men and women of great faith, and he's going to pull them from wherever he can. They could come out of the American church. They could come out of mosques. They could come out of Hindu temples. He doesn't care where they come from, but he's going to look for men and women of great faith. And so my challenge for you this morning is, will you be one of those individuals? God would love for it to be you, but we have to walk in the faith that he wants us to walk in. The congregation of Nazareth, they become angry, as you can imagine. And so our passage concludes, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus, he disagrees with their political and economic goals. And the people become furious. They drove him out of town to throw him off a cliff and stone him. Yet he walked through the crowd and he goes right along his way. I'm going to walk through the application of this passage in a minute, but as we talked about water, wilderness, and wonder, can I challenge you this morning? You know, it's, it's an awesome thing when we come to faith in who Jesus is. We identify with him, and he leads us in the promises that are ours to live in. And so then we're tested in the wilderness. Might I assert that one of the first wonders of following Jesus is people aren't always happy that you've made that decision. We have this promise in Jesus this promise of eternal life, promise of purpose in this life that we live, and yet there's people, when you talk to them about Jesus and what he's done for your life, they're not going to be happy to hear it. This is what we see in this passage right here. So one of the first wonders of following Jesus is how it is that people would not accept the good news of knowing you could be promised eternity in God. Isn't that curious? But that's the world that we live in. And so then we have to be willing to move beyond that to continue to share his story with others. Jesus rejected the narrow nationalism of his day. Scripture about judgment is transformed into a message of grace, and listeners, they get upset. They become angry when Jesus suggested redemption is not dependent upon location or ancestry, but being willing to show mercy, to set the oppressed free, to show compassion, even when you're persecuted. So here's what following Jesus requires. Following Jesus means that we proclaim his good news. You know, our third core value, Pastor Jim talked about one of our core values of give generously. 
Our third one is share the story of Jesus. How do we do that? We do that in three ways. We share his story by talking about his good news. We share his story by showing compassion to the world. And we share his story by setting those free who are helpless, being advocates for the helpless. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So the the goal of biblical interpretation, what I want to do is you first need to understand what the passage meant to the original audience if we really want to apply it well to ourselves. So I want to look and take away three points as we're going to wrap it up so that we can apply this passage to ourselves. It doesn't do us a whole lot of good to understand what Jesus was doing and speaking to the Nazarenes if we don't apply it to ourselves. And the first is this. As the church, we are to follow and to fulfill the mission of Jesus in the world. It's our responsibility to proclaim his good news, to show compassion to the world, and to serve as an advocate for the helpless. I've shared before, um, there's a slide here. I don't know how easy or hard that is for you to see from where you're at, and I'm looking at it, it's kind of small. That's not too bad. The yellow portion represents the number of unchurched people in the area in which we live. Catholics, 11%. Evangelicals, 11 Mainline Protestants, 7 67%. Here's, I was going through this slide last night. Here's what I was most disappointed to see. The census between 2010 and, and 2000. Look at those that are unchurched. So right now, this morning, Sunday morning, 67% of people in our community aren't sitting in a church. They're not concerned about God. They're not thinking about eternity in the concept that we do to understand that only in Christ do we have eternity promised in him. But look at that graph on the right. In the year 2000, 87,000 people not connected to the church. Ten years later, 116. All of the other graphs up top that represent churches, you're not seeing a whole lot of growth there. Where is the largest area that's growing? Unchurched. Folks, do we have a mission to fulfill here? Do we have a mission to fulfill here? Absolutely. And here's where I want to encourage you. When I look at, you can look at that graph and think one of two things. Man, that's depressing. You want to know what I see when I look at that graph? Holy cow, is there awesome potential for the church to grow here like none other. And we need to look at it that way. May we embrace this as an opportunity to say, Jesus, there's over 100,000 people here that have yet to claim you as Christ and king of their lives. Can we be that church that spreads out of these walls and says, we're going to go after those people? You cross these people every day. You walk by them in Walmart. You may greet them in your neighborhood if you're a friendly neighbor, or you're going to maybe just pull in the driveway and not say hi, but hopefully you're saying hi to your neighbors. You pass these people every day, and we need to start looking through an eternal lens to understand that they're lost without him. When you came in today, there was a card on your chair. It's not for you, although you're invited. You're always invited to church. But this card is for you to give to somebody else. It's an easy way for you to say, I'd love for you to come to church next Sunday because the majority of people in our town are not in a church this morning. So I encourage you, take this home with you. There's even a personal part on the back that says you can write what your name is and your phone number. Now that gets really personal. In a day where we don't like to give out our phone number, this establishes community. We talked about community last week. So I encourage you, take that card home, And start praying about an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity this week to give this card to somebody, which means you need to have it in your purse or have it in your wallet. We keep them in our car. I keep them in my wallet. Shelly keeps them in her purse so that we can make sure to help somebody get connected to Christ and his church. 
So I encourage you, may we be intentional about proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And there's three things that you can do, three questions that you can, or statements people make that are easy intersections for you to insert yourself in. If somebody says things are not going well, what a great time for you to say, you know, I've walked through challenges in life. Do you want to know what's really helped me? Being connected to God and being connected to the church. I'd love to invite you to come this Sunday. And if here's my phone number. If you just text me and let me know that you're coming, I'll meet you at the door. I'll, t- I'll get you a donut and I'll sit with you. Wouldn't that be a great way? So don't just invite somebody even though it says you're invited. I challenge you, bring somebody. Don't just invite actually get into the habit of bringing. Second thing that somebody says is, you know, things are not going well. This is something I was not prepared for. What a great time to be able to talk about Jesus and things that you were not prepared for, but the way that God showed up in an incredible way. And the last one is that I'm not from here. Uh, If you were a part of our Spring Connect group, Naturally Supernatural, in one of the nights, the, the last night, or the second to last night, we went out on a Wednesday night and we're talking with people And Shelly and I were visiting with a clerk that was at Walmart at the register. And uh, so we were talking, and we invited her to extravaganza, just invited her to come on a Sunday. And it was really neat. As she was talking, she said, you know what? I just moved into town, which is code for I'm not from here. And I just told Shelly, isn't that so amazing? If you are intentional to say, God, I'm going to go out tonight, and I'm going to share you with others, that he provides an opportunity to align you up with one of these three things so that you have the opportunity to talk about who Jesus is. So I challenge you. Don't just invite somebody, bring them, and be intentional to do it. The second thing is this. We need to proclaim the good news of Jesus, but we also need to show compassion to the world. Uh, If you're here on a Tuesday and you come in through the door, you'll find our food pantry out there. That's a big reason why we do food pantry, because we want to display the compassion of Christ in the area in which we live. And, of course, we do that through missions as well globally. So I'm going to encourage you this morning, in your seat backs, there's a connect card. What we're going to do at the end of our service today is we'll pass the offering bucket so that you can deposit this. If you'd like to be a part of the food pantry, if you're free on Tuesday afternoons, I encourage you, sign up and be a part. It's a very simple way to show compassion to the people in our area. The food pantry is a great way to do that. All you have to do is write down your name and just write food pantry anywhere you want on there, and we'll know that that's what it's for. And we'll get you connected to Pat Hawk, who helps lead that ministry And it's a great way to be a part of showing compassion to the greater Lafayette area. But I want to challenge you too. One of the other areas, when you think about application of this message, Jesus removes vengeance from the Gentiles. You know, maybe there's people in your life, in your workplace, that you have a hard time getting along with. But you know what they need? They don't need your vengeance. They need your compassion. So one of the very simple ways that you can show compassion, you might not be able to be here on a Tuesday, But every day you have an opportunity to display the compassion of Christ to the people around you. And so I encourage you to show that. And the last thing I'll mention this morning is that we must share Jesus by talking about him and being compassionate. But we also need to be an advocate for those in need. If you were here last September over Labor Day weekend, we launched our first annual Freedom 5K Walk and Run. And it was all about raising support for organizations Free International and Project Rescue which are dedicated to freeing people from human trafficking and sex slavery. So I encourage you, you could be a part of that 5K race. You can either run in it or you can volunteer to pass out water and do things along the way. That's a very simple way for you to be an advocate for the helpless. And the last thing is, is in our offering envelope for the Give Generously, there's a slot there for missions. And what's really neat is because of our partnerships around the world, 
We have opportunity to proclaim who Jesus is, to show compassion, and be justice advocates. So as you create margin in your monthly budget, you are a part of fulfilling the mission of Jesus today. So I encourage you, create margin so that you can give to missions, and in doing so, know that you're fulfilling the mission of Jesus around the world. So my question to leave with you today is, are you willing to share the good news of Jesus, to show compassion to those around you, and be a justice advocate in the world? To continue the mission of Jesus, it's what's required of us. So we're going to close here in a moment, and I just want you to begin to think, do you need more boldness to share Jesus? Do you need to have a greater heart of compassion? Do you need to create margin in your budget to serve as a justice advocate for the world? Is the Holy Spirit stirring within you a desire to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? This is the mission he began, and it's the mission we get to continue. I encourage you to start by fulfilling the mission of Jesus today. Commit yourself to be a listener this week. Listen for the three knots and have one of these cards with you so you can talk about Christ and help get people connected to the church. Because we come to Christ alone oftentimes, but we grow in Christ together, so it's important to be connected to the church. And then show compassion to those around you, even when they don't deserve it. And review your monthly budget. Find a way to start being a part of Connection Point missions. You know, last November, a number of you committed to being a part of the faith promise. So I, I challenge you, if you're still working toward that faith promise, continue to be a part of that opportunity as you give weekly. For, uh, fulfill that faith promise through giving to missions. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the floor host to come as an opportunity for you to deposit that Connect card if you want to be a part of Food Pantry. But I'm also going to ask them to come because I always feel like if we're going to talk about God's Word, we should apply God's Word. It doesn't do us a whole, God, a whole lot of good to listen and then not apply it. So I'm going to challenge you today to, if you've not been a part of giving to missions, give to missions. Maybe you um, haven't fulfilled your faith promise and you've got some capacity to do that today. Here's a great opportunity to do that. So any funds that come into this offering right now, everything will go to missions. Because in the application of today's message, no better thing to do than to sign up if you want to be a part of Food Pantry, be a part of inviting somebody this week to get connected to the church, and give to missions because you get to serve as a justice advocate in the world by giving today. So I'm going to pray over this offering. The music team's going to sing, and we're going to close out in song. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the day. And God, we just thank you that you invite us to be a part of your mission in the world. And I just pray that we would not lose out on that opportunity. I pray that we'd embrace the opportunity to find life purpose in what you've started here on earth. God, I pray that you'd help us to preach your good news. Help us, Lord, to talk to others about you, to encourage them. Help us, Lord, to show compassion to the world around us. Our community needs to see a compassionate church, so I pray that we would be that. And God, I do ask that you'd help us to be an advocate for those who are helpless. And I pray that we would do that now. I pray that as we respond, I pray, Lord, that you continue to give us wisdom and ways that we can partner with ministries and people around the world to highlight these three areas of proclamation of compassion and justice advocacy. Lead us well in this, Lord, we ask and pray. Amen. Amen. As that offering bucket passes you by, feel free to stand as we close in song this morning. Tell